0: trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep.
1: We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome back to those who have uh,
2: safely made it back from that... uh, that period of time where we don't know what day it is and we are all full of cheese and and perhaps spirits <laughs> anyway uh, yeah hope you had a great christmas it's uh, it's time to catch up with our friend eric peters from eric peters autos eric how was your christmas
1: it was pretty good i uh imbibed in the spirit to get into the spirit how was yours
2: you know this this was actually one of the best christmases i can remember and and i know that's weird to say with so many things going haywire in the world but um, we actually had a lot of time to spend with family, and uh, and it was just very rewarding. So I'd, I'd count this as one of the best ones.
1: Well, that's good. Now I heard that you caught a cold.
2: Yeah, I was. I've been pretty under the weather for about the last week, week and a half, and and the thought has crossed my mind: could it be? Could I have contracted the Rona? A lot. Uh, of, a lot of people I know have have come down with and been diagnosed with COVID. I don't test, and it was it was like a bad cold, and you know I'm on the mend now, but a friend of mine. Had uh, he and his whole family came down with it, and he posted something on Twitter. I think all he posted was, "Wow, Rona sucks." And yep. here, here came the detractors. Well, you know who doesn't get infected? The vaccinated. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, all right, where to begin? First of all, of course they get infected. They conceded that in the first place. But the second thing is, and and I'm a I'm affected by this too. This is a side effect of. The the last three years. Anytime now, you start to sniffle, you can't but help think, "Oh no, have I got the Rona?" Whereas ever it was normal. Once upon a time, in the before time, this was just three years ago. It's fall. It's winter. You know. Oh gosh, I caught a cold, seasonal flu. It goes around, and people just you know it, it was it was just a commonplace. People caught cold, no big deal. Big whoop, whatever. You know, go with God. Feel good. You'll be fine in a couple of days. Now we've all become neurotic as a result of the neuroticization of society
2: yeah i was thinking back to 3 years ago um and and the prospect of my mom who, you know, she's coming up on 90 real fast. And um, the thought of her being alone for Christmas was just more than we could bear. So we actually, yeah. we surprised her. I called her on the phone. She had no idea we were even in town. Um, I called her and asked her how her Christmas was going. And while we're talking to her, she's like, oh, somebody's knocking at the door. I'm like, well, you better answer it. And well, there we were yeah. with a pan of cinnamon rolls. Hey, <laughs> surprise. Outstanding. And you know, yeah. most people, at least on my you know social media, we, we shared the little video of us knocking on her door. Most people were very surprised. But there's always those few that are just like, that's great that you'd risk your mother's life to prove a political point. I'm like, uh, wow, isn't is that what that was the, about? You know,
1: the, the, the viciousness of, of some of the people on the other side. And I've not seen anything like that on our side. You know, we have may we may have raised our hands. We may have asked questions. We may have been indignant about being pressured and uh, to wear masks and kicked out of stores. But to my knowledge, none of us have ever wished that anybody else uh, die or suffer at all, um, for exactly. whatever they believe, you know, if they want to wear a mask, if they want to take the, the so-called vaccines, I've got no problem with that. And I certainly don't wish them any ill, but yet they seem to wish us dead. It's really quite remarkable to ponder that. Yeah.
2: And, and, uh, you know, that's back during, uh, well, it was, I guess in 2021 when we had president Biden warning of that, uh, winter of extreme illness and death, which, you yeah. know, the unvaccinated were supposedly going to suffer. Well, we're still waiting, but yeah. thanks anyway, sir. I, I saw,
1: yeah, I saw something the other day. We were watching—I uh, can't remember what it was—on uh, TV, but there was a, an ad from Pfizer, and they were once again repeating this business about how uh, you need to take this this drug of theirs in order to not get this sickness. And it's just a deliberate lie. It's an acknowledged lie. They've they've acknowledged that whatever, whatever virtues these drugs may have, maybe they reduce the severity of the symptoms, maybe they keep you out of the hospital, that's all debatable too, but there's no debate whatever about the fact that these things do not immunize anybody, and yet they continue to peddle that lie, and, and that accounts for uh, the position taken by the people who mocked your friend for getting sick because he didn't take the drugs.
2: Yeah, yep. I think the, the, the truth that uh, that we're not supposed to acknowledge is everybody got it anyway. Some tested, some didn't, but it has yeah. spread enough through society that now uh, there's herd immunity, natural immunity. You know, if you do get it, it's going to be fairly mild, which, you know, for most people it is. It still sucks to be sick, but it's not to the life-threatening respirator, you know, invoking kind of tragedy or crisis that they say it is.
1: And, and so it has always been. Uh, my whole life, you know, as long as I have awareness of it, going back to the time that I was a little kid, people got sick and it was considered normal. Now they have somehow managed to uh, shift around people's perceptions such that it's abnormal for people to catch a cold. That that's how it's some kind of uh, some kind of awful thing that must be prevented at all costs. And it's deranged. It's it's you know not only is it deranged, it's impossible. There's nothing that can be done to prevent people from catching colds.
2: Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute had a really great article um, last week or the week before about how this silence isn't golden. And and he pointed out something very dangerous that I know you and I have been aware of for some time. And that is the people who are responsible for the lockdowns, the ones who initiated and enforced and enacted those policies, for the most part, they've just dodged accountability. They refuse to acknowledge how wrong they were.
1: There, there's another aspect of this, and I'm kind of dealing with this on a personal level as well, and you probably have as well. Uh, you may have had people in your, your circle of friends and even in your family who at the time uh, believed everything. You know, They thought oh, that yeah. it was necessary to lock everybody down, that it was necessary uh, to enforce this mask business, and that everybody should be pressured, if not outright forced, to take these drugs. And now that uh, it's been uh, revealed that most of that was absolute nonsense and, and malicious nonsense, there's a rift that's opened up because I think those people kind of initially, they, they resented us because they thought we were dangerous. Now they have to grapple with the fact that they were fooled and we were right and they don't want to say anything. It's like we can't talk about it. It's like the kid touching funny uncle. Nobody's supposed to say anything. And it's, it's created this, this awkwardness between people. I don't know whether you've experienced that, but I have.
2: Yeah, it, it's... Uh... Our psyche was damaged. Our national psyche was uh, actually worldwide. <laughs> Humanity's psyche was damaged mm-hmm. by the, the psychological warfare waged against us. And, of course, it's not letting up. It It's shifted over to other crises. Uh, I think the climate is one of the latest. Yep. I, I don't know what, what they can do to trump that, but I guess we'll find out.
1: Well, I think they need to do that because they have to give the believers a new cause to rally around so that they can uh, stop. Stop having to worry about having to uh, come to grips with the way they were lied to, and also with their attitude toward people who actually refused to be lied to and questioned it and didn't uh, didn't submit to it. So a great way to do that uh, is just to change the narrative and give them a new cause. We got to start. We got to you know got to prevent the climate crisis from happening, and it very neatly shifts over all of that same militant rabid. Condemnatory, uh, self-justifying thinking that these people have, and it's a, it's it's a frightening thing because it's kind of an Americanized manifestation of the Red Guards in China.
2: Now, Eric, as we're coming up on the end of 2023, um, I wanted to ask you, and I'll give you a moment here to kind of gather your thoughts mm-hmm. about what you would consider the high point or the the best thing that happened to you in 2023 what what would you say was your biggest win for this last year
1: uh well i don't know about win, but this is totally irreverent but the best thing that happened to me was getting the opportunity to drive the black ghost which is uh the the last call uh for the dodge challenger as we know it the one that had a thousand horsepower uh yeah um, and I got to spend a week with that and, and, and drive that around. And so that's something that I'll probably remember for the rest of my, my life, whatever's left of it.
2: That's right. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're fast approaching the the whole Mad Max thing, you know, the last of the V8s. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: But no, on, on a more serious note, I think that we, you and I, not just me, I don't want to be self-referential here, but uh, you, I, a lot of other people um, who have been fighting this fight, uh, we finally punched through. And we got through on the the masks and we got through on the drugs that were never vaccines. Uh, Granted, there's still a large number of people out there who don't want to come to grips with the extent to which they were lied to. But there's also great recognition now, I think, among a large percentage of the population about what's happening. Uh, and for that reason, I'm optimistic that it won't happen again, just because I think if it, if they try it again, there's going to be there's going to be some pretty serious pushback, at least I hope. And I hope I'm not being naive.
2: Well, among the people who were awake, you know, the I think the the resolve has really firmed up. Anybody who was strong enough to resist that push to get vaccinated against their will has has yeah. probably solidified their mindset to where. Um, I pity the person who insists you must do this because they're going to catch they're going to catch a whole load of of, uh, frustration and reasons why we will not comply.
1: You know, that's very astute, very perceptive, because initially, you know, I think at least it was certainly my position that I was not going to be pressured into taking any drug. You know, whether it was an effective drug was for me initially beside the point. I just I'm not going to I'm not a guinea pig. I'm not a cat. I'm not a dog being taken to the vet. Uh, I'll choose for myself what drugs I'm going to take if any. That was my initial main objection to the whole thing. But now we know, you know, that these drugs are dangerous and they're killing people and they're causing people uh, crippling lifelong injuries from things like myocarditis and pericarditis and Graves disease, all of those other things. So what kind of a person would say, "Yeah, I'm going to, you know, my job whatever it is is worth getting heart disease. It's worth getting Some other crippling malady. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I don't think so. You know, a lot of people, it's just, it's a life, it's literally a life and death thing now, and uh, it's a whole lot easier to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you do that to me.
2: Okay, hold that thought. We're going to continue our conversation with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Just the other side of these
0: messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey,
2: welcome back to the show. A quick shout-out to my sponsors, including Ironsight Brewing Company. If you're, if you're a coffee aficionado, if that's what it gets get your day going, I would urge you, please, click on that sponsor link and uh, learn about one of the greatest uh, subscription service coffees that's available. 72 hours from the roaster to your coffee pot It's right there at com. You can check out all of my sponsors. Eric Peters is my guest. And, Eric, I just opened up your article, Dieselgate 2. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since the first Dieselgate, so maybe refresh our memories what that was, and then let's talk about this latest iteration.
1: Yep. Uh, It was around 2015 when the federal government discovered, lo and behold, that Volkswagen had, to use their term, cheated on federal emission certification tests. And the, testing, and the cheating was so egregious that every Volkswagen diesel that was out in circulation passed <laughs> the, the normal emissions tests that you have to take in order to get registered and get your registration renewed with flying colors. They had to really dig around and search for it. And what they found was a minute difference under wide-open throttle conditions, and that was considered the cheating. In fact, all Volkswagen did was program their cars to pass the tests, and this is a common thing. But there's a sinister aspect to it, which is that they were going after Volkswagen, I believe, specifically because Volkswagen sold a whole array of affordable, long-range, high-efficiency diesel-powered cars. You could pick up a TDI-powered Golf or Jetta for 23000 bucks ish The thing got 50-plus miles per gallon. It had a 700-mile range, and it was something that would go for 300,000 miles. Now, not coincidentally, this was right around the time that the EV push began to really get ahead of steam, if you recall. And I think the reason they went after Volkswagen so aggressively was because of that juxtaposition. Uh, You had a $50,000 EV on one hand that goes maybe 250 miles before you have to sit and wait for a half hour to get 80% of that charge back. That probably is going to need a new $20,000 battery after eight years. And then you got this Jetta over here that will last 300,000 miles, goes 700 miles on a tank, uh, and costs $23,000. It doesn't look so good for the EV. So the diesels had to go. Now... They're uh, focusing their, uh, their attention on Cummins diesels, which are uh, used in a lot of uh, vehicles like Ram trucks. Uh, and, and they're claiming the same thing, that, uh, that Cummins cheated on the, on the tests And uh, they're going to give Cummins and they're going to give Stellantis, which is the parent company of, of Dodge and Ram trucks, the same treatment um, to the tune of something like almost $2 billion in fines. And probably it's going to get even worse than that. And I think the idea is again, they want to pull these types of engines off the off the market because they become an embarrassment vis a vis the electric powered trucks that cost twice as much and go half as far.
2: Wow. Uh you know, <laughs> where do you even begin? I, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know that I'm rebellious by nature, but stuff like this really makes me want to buy a Cummins diesel now. But well, but of course well you should.
1: I, you know, I think two words encompass all of this. You know, it's a, initially it's a challenging issue to get your head around, but uh, two words: green communism. That's what this is. You dig into it a little bit, and you'll find that uh, the, the Marxists decided that uh, talking about the working class, the proletariat, and all of that wasn't selling, particularly in America, which had an affluent middle class, uh, which is anathema to a Marxist kind of a system. So they started focusing on the environment. You know, you can go back to 1970, and you can go back to the first Earth Day. You can look at Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, who founded something called the Green Cross. Hmm, what do you suppose that's all about? Mm. Uh, and, and so they figured out they could guilt trip the West, you know, the bourgeoisie, the middle class, and particularly the more affluent members of the middle class. Oh, your lifestyle is hurting the planet, you know, and so they can get them to accept communism, essentially, which amounts to poverty and authoritarian control over their lives because, oh, they're bad people. They're causing the climate to change. That's the shtick.
2: Wow. Well, do you, do you have anything uh, of a positive nature to look forward to in the coming year as far as uh, um, automotive news? I mean, it's, I, obviously, the push for EVs continues and, yep. and uh, you know, the the finger wagging and clucking of the tongue against uh, internal combustion mm-hmm. engines. But tell me about a bright spot on the horizon.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the bright spot is that I think we've already passed the point uh, that we passed, say, about two years ago with regard to the masks uh, in that people are cluing in. They're figuring out what's going on, and they know it's a sham and it's a scam. Not all of them by any means, but a lot of people are getting hip to it and getting wise to it. They see what the agenda is, and it transcends just cars. You know, you can read about how they want to force people to give up uh, natural gas and propane. They want to criminalize mowing your lawn with a gas-powered motor uh, mower. They're doing that in California. They'll put, threaten you put people in jail for it. Uh, wow. and, and so you can see what, where all of this is headed and, of course, uh, also who's pushing it. People like John Kerry in his private jet, you know, people like Barack Obama in his massive Martha's Vineyard mansion that's just 100 yards away from the supposedly rising sea level. And and it's clear, you know, it's very obvious that these people are Marxists. And Marxists are not people who practice Marxism. What they want is Marxism for 99 percent of the population and state capitalism for themselves. They want to be the ones at the apex of the pyramid. They want to be very wealthy, very comfortable, and they want the rest of us to be poor and dependent.
2: Yep, that sounds about right. And, of course, they're only doing it because they're so concerned about us. And uh, Okay, sorry, I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> right.
1: You notice, I mean, can you think of a single one of these people who practices what they preach? Look at how many houses does uh, Bernie Sanders own? Multiple, I'll answer your question. Is, oh, yeah. And, is, and how much is he worth? He's a multimillionaire. All of these people, they are are very affluent people. They're not living the, 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 the mean and, and basic life that they insist that we must bear. So what does that tell you about the, you know the truth of their 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 politics?
2: And what's what's concerning to me is you know the the push in in politics is that that environmental push is actually creeping down to the state level. I know that oh, yeah. uh, for instance Boise, Idaho, in the global scheme of things, is really not that big of a deal. But boy, the mayor was sure there at that uh, latest COP meeting in in Dubai hobnobbing with the other yeah. you know central planners of how we're going to save the world by controlling you know every aspect of humanity
1: well they used to say well there's money in it well there's also power in it there's both in it and so you've got these grasping people uh, who see their future their material well-being and the power that they create that they crave uh lying at the end of this road in you know and if they become part of this system they will be the new nomenklatura, to borrow another word from the old Soviet Union, meaning the people who are the inner party, the party elite, who got to shop at the special stores, who got to got to live in the nice dachas, the nice apartments, and and had a state car and all of these other, these other things. That's what they're after.
2: Wow. So we got about two minutes here, but Eric, I have to ask: as as you look ahead to twenty twenty four, I know this is this is a very loaded question, but uh, mm-hmm. anything in particular that uh, that you Uh, Your radar is picking up on that. We ought to be watching for in the coming year.
1: (laughs) One crisis after the next, right? Yeah, It's going to be very interesting to see how this whole thing with the orange man plays out and and whether we go full banana republic and they attempt to use lawfare to take him entirely off the ballot. And again, I'm not uh, in any way boosting the orange man. I'm just saying that if something like that were to happen, you know, things are going to get ugly. I think they're going to get ugly regardless uh, so, you know, best to deal with that and open up your eyes to it and be prepared for it. Now, hopefully, cooler heads will prevail. I think, you know, both sides of this left-right dynamic want, want us to be angry at each other and ready to fight. And if we can reason with one another and calm things down, maybe things will calm down.
2: I, there's just the strongest sense, or at least I, I feel very strongly that um, the the outrages that are being forced on us by those in power— are being done with the intention of provoking someone to lash out in anger. You know, to do to, to, to fire on Fort Sumter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely
1: I think it's 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 calculated, it's contrived. Uh, all of this is meant for uh, to enrage the left on the one hand and enrage the right on the other hand. And who benefits from that? Well the answer is the ruling class, you know, the same entity that blob, that's what uh, consular calls it, and I kind of yes. like that term, that profits from it.
2: Uh, and, and James Howard Kunstler is an excellent, excellent source of, if I want a good summary of, okay, how messed up is it right now, you know, thanks to the blob, the man yep. spells it out very well.
1: Yep, yes, he does.
2: Eric, it's a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you so much for, for doing these regular visits uh, all throughout this year. And uh, here's to the best in, in the coming new year.
1: Absolutely. We keep our chins up uh, and our eyes forward, and we hope for the best and we plan for the worst.
2: Here here. Again that's Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos. Um happy new year to you my friend and uh, we'll see you on the other side of the, Likewise, the turn of the calendar.
1: Thanks Mike.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show. This is the Brian Hyde show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And again, uh, well, I was going to say I'm sorry
2: for the long break between, uh, you know, recording new episodes, but I got to tell you I was hanging on to my my voice by just the th- merest thread and uh, safely made it through the Christmas holiday. Uh I had a great time filling in for my friend Bill Colley, and uh, just just had that last couple of days where it was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to totally talk myself right out of my voice. It didn't happen, at least not entirely. But thankfully, here we are on the other side of Christmas, heading for New Year's, and and uh, I'm actually feeling pretty good, just uh, just fighting off a little bit of a cold. And and it's it's been interesting around here. the The weather has been cold, but we have such an incredible lack of snow. My daughter was joking around as we were driving to uh, visit relatives on Christmas Day, uh, so the song "Frosty the Snowman" came on like twice in a 10-minute span on one of the stations that we were listening to. And she says, you know, we should be singing about Frosty the Dirt Man. I thought that was pretty astute because that's really about all we have to work with at this point is uh, just good old dirt. But uh, I hope you had a great uh, Christmas. Hope you're looking forward to New Year's. Something that uh, that really kind of rests on me a little bit as we come to the end of this year is how speaking up for truth is getting riskier by the day. And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, J.B. Shirk, in a column published on LouRockwell.com, talks about uh, what it means to, to be a rebel for Christ. Now, I'm not just speaking, you know, to I'm not trying to encourage everybody, hey, you know, if you're not a believer, this is, this is your chance to, to get on the bandwagon. But for those who are believers, let's, uh, let's make it uh, just flat out plain that um, it's hard to speak up for truth. Especially religious truth, that is just not welcome in the public square. But um, we're seeing what happens when, when irreligion or even anti-religion takes hold of the reins of power, and, and it's not pretty. I mean, there's a reason why totalitarians, every time they have come to power, have always tried to uh, vanquish any other representation of moral authority, meaning religion. Burn the churches, you know, get to, you know, outlaw anything except bowing to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. That's, that's just the nature of totalitarianism. Which leads me to, to Schirk's observations here. He says an unjust law is no law at all. And, more that, and the more that injustice becomes the law of the land, the more likely that chaos comes too. Why? Well, because injustice begets more injustice. Most humans have an antenna that can distinguish right from wrong, but most humans also ignore this antenna to their detriment. He says it's far easier to accept the world as it is, even when it's drenched in depravity, than to rebel against majority opinion. Oh, isn't that the truth? It's far safer to stay silent in the sight of outrageous sin than to stand alone and say, hey, this is wrong. As everyday wrongs pile up high, though, human antenna, even ones that have gone unused for too long, begin to twitch uncontrollably. Why are so many people today afflicted by sadness? The answer is because sins are a heavy burden to carry, and the mountains of evil rising in our world torment every soul, and only by actively fighting the resulting chaos can we hope to one day find salvation. J.B. Shirk says, that idea that the struggle against evil is worth any cost is easier said than done. I mean, how can the actions of any one person make any meaningful difference? He says, as Christians all over the world celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, it seems more logical to ask, how can any person dedicated to making a difference seem, or how can any person hoping to make a difference ultimately not succeed? Christ came to earth to seed a message of hope and redemption and died for our sins. His disciples spread that message across the world, suffering torture and death so that we might live. Christians have been persecuted, imprisoned, and slaughtered ever since so that we might be saved. Next to their sacrifices, he points out, our hardships pale. Now, I like this next part. J.B. Shirk says, look, I admit that there is a rebellious streak in me. I am fond of rule breakers who will stand unafraid against evil. Rebellion for rebellion's sake can be just as detrimental as injustice, yet rebellion against injustice so that one may remain obedient to God is surely righteous. And when you say it out loud that way, will you choose man's laws or God's? Well, the answer is obvious. So he says, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for God's devout, indefatigable troublemakers. As evidence that any one of us can make a difference in the fight against evil, he says, I want to recognize the efforts of Bible smugglers around the world. Did you know that men and women routinely risk imprisonment and execution by secretly delivering God's word to populations forbidden from receiving Christ's message? Just as the apostles did 2,000 years ago, followers of Christ still risk life and limb to spread his message today. In fact, the last century has been a busy one for God's smugglers. They've navigated the Soviet Union's Iron Curtain, the Chinese Communist Party, and Islamic Supremacists' intent on Christianity's eradication. Yet God's smugglers have persevered. For decades, two Finnish men named Antti and Esko smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union and throughout the Eastern Bloc. They moved through Finnish forests in the dead of night, hid Bibles in secret compartments within their vehicles' gas tanks, and eventually, eventually began manufacturing prefabricated housing components that allowed them to move tens of thousands of Bibles through Leningrad, Moscow, Tula, Oriel, Kiev, Kishnev, Kishnyev, Kishnyev Kishinev, uh, Romania, and Bulgaria. And they survived many security checks and many impossible situations. And several of their collaborators were imprisoned. And through all those years of danger, though, they found strength through Scripture. The Lord will protect your going and coming, now and forevermore. Now, in an ongoing operation today, there are Christians printing and smuggling Bibles into Middle Eastern countries that torture followers of Jesus Christ. One smuggler recounted, they tried to kill me five times, and he shared the story of a believer so thankful for their covert operations that the man embraced his new Bible as the most important book on earth. A supporter of these perilous missions takes inspiration from the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, he says perhaps the most well known Bible smuggler was Andrew Vanderbilch. I think I said his name wrong. Bil- Bijl. Known by most as Brother Andrew, he died just last year. This was a fearless Christian from the Netherlands who risked his life on innumerable occasions to bring light into the darkness of totalitarian regimes. As he operated a kind of Christian spy ring with the clandestine mission to deliver God's word, he developed a prayer. Lord, In my luggage I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things you do not want them to see. Now those prayers saw him through nerve-wracking encounters with Cold War War border guards, Chinese communist, and Islamic security services. In an operation codenamed Project Pearl... He helped coordinate the delivery of a million Bibles for a Chinese Christian woman known as Mama Quang and her small team of rebels to unload from a barge off the southern coast in a single night. That night of miracles 40 years ago has been credited with the explosion of Christian fellowship in China today. As Brother Andrew was fond of noting, the Bible is full of ordinary people who went to impossible places and did wondrous things simply because they decided to follow Jesus. Inspiring others with his courage, he was always on the hunt for new rebels and radicals willing to go to the darkest places on earth at the risk of death to change the world. Now You don't have to become an international spy in order to become one of Brother Andrew's rebels and radicals for Christ. God blessed us each with special talents, and with these talents, we have special obligations. It's up to each of us to do what we can When we can, with steadfast determination, rebelling against the evils of this world requires no additional invitation. Among his many sermons on the importance of sacrifice and hard work, English greengrocer and lay preacher Alfred Roberts attested, there is no promise of ease for the faithful servant of the cross. There is no bypass round calvary. You have to be a man of humble heart and paradoxically also a man of authority. God wants no faint hearts for his ambassadors. He wants man who, having communed with heaven, can never be intimidated by the world. Now that's invaluable advice. No matter how small we may feel, when we act with God in our hearts, we have nothing to fear. We become the rock around which those with no resolve must move. So you never know when your seemingly mundane words or actions may light a flame of courage in someone else. You don't know when your good example might affect another's future. So J.B. Shirk says, speak bravely. Live your life as if curious eyes are constantly watching. Be a person of both gentleness and authority. Be one of God's valiant ambassadors. Be fearless while others quiver. Be rebellious against injustice and defiant against evil. And remember this, no matter what tyrant rises or what iniquity spreads, God's faithful children have nothing to dread. Now again, I understand those who don't believe may think that well, okay, it's kind of turned into Sunday school here. But for those who do, that this message is is for your ears and for your heart. I talked to a lot of people over the last week. People in positions of authority, people who are just you know run-of-the-mill average folks like me. One common thread that I find is that everyone is deeply concerned about what's going to happen during the coming year. I think taking J.B. Shirk's advice could really ease a lot of that discomfort.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
2: Welcome back to the show again. It's good to be back in the saddle. A sense of normalcy returning to the work week, although second Sunday yesterday kind of threw me off. <laughs> I know it's just you know Christmas on a Monday. i I think most of us are pretty much shot as far as, you know, for the rest of the week. we're we're pretty mentally checked out i've I've heard it described as the that period of time where, you know we're we're all not sure what day it is, but we're full of cheese and Therefore, pretty happy. So a friend sent me an article yesterday and, and it uh, really sparked my interest. I'll just share the headline with you. Militia leader Ammon Bundy hints at retaliation after losing $52 million defamation suit. Now, I happened to be on a Zoom call with Ammon actually on Saturday. And uh, got to, I, I love that I have the opportunity to go directly to the source. And uh, I got to tell you, Someone is really trying to gin up some kind of official retribution against Ammon. For those who don't know, just a couple of days before Christmas, St. Luke's Healthcare, at the behest of their lawyers, rather, um, went to whatever credit union Ammon and his family used and cleaned out Ammon's wife's account as well as his son's account. Now, why does that matter? Well, you know, some would say, well, you know, community property, his wife is fair game. Okay, we'll set that aside for the moment. His son is currently serving a mission, actually in the Washington, D.C. area. But they took away this missionary's money that he'd saved in order to go out and pay his own way to go out and, and serve. Right before Christmas, too. That's, I mean, that's the, the timing on this is, even Scrooge would be like, really? Seriously? You guys are like that. And I'll tell you, in the in the conversation that, that I had with Ammon, with a, with a group of select friends, it's very clear that the, the corruption and, and wickedness, and I don't use that word just as a, a pejorative, there's real serious wickedness that is taking place here. There are people in power who feel like they have influence and they have wealth that they stand to lose if their deeds are known generally. That's why Ammon and his friend uh, uh, Diego Rodriguez faced this $52 million defamation suit. Now, I I don't want to relitigate the whole thing, but I'm going to tell you the place where the injustice occurred was that by Idaho law, by the, the rules that govern the courts in Idaho, in a civil case... If the defendant does not show up after so many days, and it's, it's like eight or nine days, the judge is required to enter a default judgment. Had the judge done this, had Judge Lynn Norton followed the law, essentially they would have assessed him a $50,000 penalty. That's what he would have been required to pay to make St. Luke's whole for telling the truth about their unnecessary medical kidnapping of a little baby boy who did not need to be taken from his parents and was not in grave danger when this was done. But instead, the judge left that complaint open and allowed St. Luke's to continue to bury Diego and Ammon in paperwork for the better part of the next year and it also allowed them to adjust the, the, the amount that they were asking for until finally they did take it to trial and the jury said, oh, we're going to give even more than you're asking for which is not surprising since every single jury member either worked in health care or knew someone who worked in health care, like had a spouse who worked in, uh, in health care. Oh, they picked him well, $52 million. So as far as this, uh, you know, Ammon hinting at retaliation after losing a $52 million defamation suit, all he noted was he said they are just pushing and pushing and pushing him. And he says, you know, I'm doing everything I can not to retaliate against these people. I have been so peaceful. And they keep pushing me, pushing me, and pushing me, wanting me to do something so they can arrest me and put me in prison or kill me. By the way, this is why he left Idaho. And he says, I'm about ready to say, you know, to all those people I've said, don't do anything to those people, don't do anything. It's not right to retaliate. I'm ready to say, you know what? To hell with it. Now, of course, this is taken as, well, he's threatening retaliation against, well... What he's, what he's threatening is let the, let the laws of consequences happen. I know these people believe they're above the law. I know they believe that they are able to do things that uh, we mere mortals might not even consider. More importantly, they understand that the process itself is the punishment. And I'm including an article today. This is the article of the day. This is from El Gato Malo, published by the Brownstone Institute. And specifically, this article is talking about a lot of the January 6th defendants. But the whole idea here is that lawfare is being used to weaponize the courts and the judicial process against we the people. What's happening to Ammon Bundy is simply happening on the state level in Idaho. And it's by the way, it's extremely sad to me because I, I do perceive that generally... The people in Idaho are people who love freedom. You would not believe the number of people who have come here in the last few years from from all over the country. But they're fleeing these blue areas where it's just top-down, dictatorial, central control because this is an island of freedom. And yet when you look at the political system, the same statist, communist rot is taking hold here. And the, the wickedness of the people who are interconnected, and I'm talking, you know, corporate entities and political entities all lying down in bed together to do what is favorable to them at the expense of the taxpayers. And when you want to, to go after somebody, as St. Luke's, you know, the largest, uh, I think they are the largest employer in the state of Idaho, the largest private employer, I should say. They have virtually unlimited resources in terms of money, lawyers. They can they can wage lawfare, and not even blink an eye, and yet they will play the victim when someone points out their wrongdoing, and not just seek to punish them, but seek to destroy them. Some would say, "Well, Amos just being paranoid." I don't think he's being paranoid. He scared the crap out of the people who run the political systems by running for governor. And some would say, well, yeah, but he only got 16% of the vote. How? Hey, 16% of the vote, that's uh, that's 100,000 or more votes of people who recognized they were being offered offered an alternative to Socialist A or Socialist B. And that's very scary because that's the kind of thing that can quickly turn into a groundswell that uh, will make enough of a difference that the people who are in power will lose their access to power which is intolerable. So when Ammon told me personally that, you know, he left Idaho because it was just becoming too dangerous, he wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't playing the victim. He was stating a truth. And it's very clear that the people in power, again, both elected and unelected, are trying to concoct some kind of a confrontation, some reason that deadly force can be justified against him. Should I just come right out and say it? they want him dead? I believe they do want him dead because as long as he is still around, he can continue to speak truth. Which is why apparently the judge has, uh, has filed multiple contempt charges against him in a civil trial. But he has like a $250,000 bond, bail bond, um, uh, I'm sorry, arrest warrant with $250,000 bail. And I guess that's an extraditable, enforceable warrant in any state. Wow. I had a friend once who was a, a, he was a bailiff in the courts. Worked as a sheriff's deputy part-time and often he would spend his time, you know, just as a bailiff in the courtroom providing security. And he says, you know, I'm not trying to talk down our country when I say this. And, And he was, he was a good patriotic man. But he said, my observation for many, many days of standing in courtrooms is you get exactly as much justice as you can afford. And that's all the more true when the system is being weaponized. Or as El Gato Malo puts it, in a legalistic technocracy such as ours, the power to determine what is and is not investigated and what is and is not charged is the true prerogative of Prince's. It determines who may act abhorrently and who must always be looking over their shoulder for fear of a tap from Leviathan. Please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com and check out the show notes. This is for December 26, 2023. You'll find the article of the day by Elgato Malo. And you'll understand why so many people find it hard to speak up even when they know it's right. Once they are accused, they can be dragged into court. And even if ultimately the jury says, no, no, you know, they're not guilty of this. They're still out time, including time sometimes spent in jail, including hundreds of thousands of dollars that's uh, that's stripped away from them. It's the process that is the punishment. And those who have their hands on the levers of power and control, the so-called justice system, They intend to use that in such a way that justice, in air quotes, only serves the interests of the state. Does that seem right to you? Anybody with a conscience knows how to answer that question.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show.